Lord, you are great, and, uh, and we do bring our praises to you and pour them out um, before you. God, the, the things that are precious to, to us, we bring, um, and we offer them to you for your glory. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. I want to dismiss the kids to the kids' church. You can be seated. Levi, I'm going to invite you to come up and join me here on stage. Goodness sakes, it looks like half the church is leaving. <laughs> I, hope that, uh, I hope the kids' teachers have got their, uh, their safety belts on and they're, like, they're prepared for this because I think we just unleashed something on them. <laughs> That's cool. I love it. I love it. So um, if you're new here, my name is Floyd, and I do the majority of the teaching and preaching here at Cornerstone. Every once in a while, I get a break. And this morning is one of those. Um, comes on a really good weekend because I had a wedding last night and, um, and a really, really busy week. And um, this morning I was just, you know, I was driving into church and I was like, God, I'm exhausted. And I just, uh, I'm just happy to sit and take in and receive. So Levi, thank you so much for joining us. Levi Anderson is from Cedar Rapids Faith Bible Church. Levi is the pastor of evangelism and discipleship there at Faith Baptist. Some of you can Faith remember... Bible. Did I say Faith Baptist? Yeah, I did, okay. didn't I? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Boy, I hate to accuse you of being Baptist. That's <laughs> why I wanted to clarify that. <laughs> you Baptists out there, you know who you are. <laughs> and we don't want to... Anyway, we're going to leave that alone. Boy, thanks for clearing that up. Yeah. Yeah. Faith Bible Church. Um, Steve Benton has been here and shared with us. I think it's probably been well over a year, though. It's probably been a year and a half, two years since Steve's been here. But we've had a good relationship. I met Steve and the guys on his staff about four years ago at a prayer conference. We were doing a, a prayer summit for about three days, and I just learned to, to know Levi and some of the other guys on staff and really um, enjoyed meeting them. And we've been interacting some over the last four years. And, uh, and so I've really been looking forward to having you here, Levi. And uh, it's one of those things we've talked about and just needed to put it on the calendar and make it happen. So let me pray with you, and then we're going to um, turn you loose on these unsuspecting people. So, okay. All right. All right. God, what an honor it is. This is, this is great to be here this morning. Uh, it's been good to worship. And, uh, Lord, you just touched my own heart with the, the songs this morning and, and uh, just declaring your greatness again. And, God, um, continue to keep our eyes on who you are and your greatness as Levi opens the word and shares God, I pray that you would open our hearts as he opens the word um, and open us to the truth of your word. God, each of us come with an area of need this morning, and uh, so we are trusting you to speak to that area of need. Pray for boldness for Levi and uh, clarity of thought in the speech, Lord. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Floyd. Well, good morning, everybody. It is great to be here. I bring greetings from Cedar Rapids, and uh, again, thank you, Floyd and Elaine, for inviting us here. It's been great getting to know you guys over these last uh, few years. Um, as he mentioned, I serve at a church in, in Cedar Rapids. We've been, go we've been there for going on seven years now, and so my wife and, and our two kids, um, we, uh, we really love living up there. And um, I'm originally, neither of us originally from here, though. I'm from, I grew up on a farm in central Nebraska, and my wife is from Council Bluffs, which is Iowa. It counts as Iowa, right, I think? <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, I think it counts. We'll count it. So that all is not all that far from eastern Iowa, central Nebraska, and Council Bluffs. But 
we came here uh, via Dallas. So I know that makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, sometimes you get routed uh, to different cities, and that's what happened with us. We spent four years in Dallas where I was going to uh, seminary there at Dallas Seminary. And while I was at Dallas Seminary, I took several classes with this professor who was really notorious at the school. Now, normally a, a professor is notorious because they're really hard or, or they, you know, they, they, come, they grade really difficult or something. This guy was notorious for a, a different reason. He was famous at this seminary because he would give you whatever grade you wanted. You asked for it, and he gave it to you. At the beginning of each year, he told the class that if you wanted a certain grade, you just set up an appointment with him, come into his office, tell him the grade you want, and it was done. Now, uh, I don't know if there's any teachers in here, but maybe, maybe you're cringing a little bit at that, but this was a real thing. My really good friend Grant, he wanted a B, so he set up an appointment, asked for a B, and he got a B. Now, whenever my professor presented this, um, this proposal, he always did so, and I, I had multiple classes with him, and he did it every time, as he told a story of a student who wanted to take him up on the offer, and so he made an appointment, he sits down in the office, he says, okay, I want to, I want to do that deal you talked about. So, okay, grabs his pen, he says, what grade do you want? He says, well, I want an A+. Plus. Okay. And he says, but I think, I think for an A+, plus, I should do a little bit of the work, so I think I want to do a paper, and you grade it, but then you still give me an A+. And the professor said, well, why don't you just do the classwork and see what you get? If you think your papers are that awesome, then just do it like normal. He says, no, I, I don't think so. I, I, I think I just want to, I want the 100%, but I still want to do a little bit of work for it. He thought maybe he could just do something. Now, as my professor told this story, um, I thought that actually sounded kind of reasonable, <laughs> but uh, as he started telling it, he actually raised his voice and started yelling at us. <laughs> he said, no, that wasn't, I won't yell at you. He said, no, that was not okay. You either take 100% as a gift, no strings attached, no requirements, or you don't. Why? Well, the rumors are true. Seminary is a weird place. It's very strange. And my, my professor saw this as a social experiment of sorts to see how even these theologically trained seminary students would respond to grace. He even suggested that this student didn't actually understand grace. Now, I don't know about that. I didn't know the guy. But if he didn't, I don't think he's alone. It's like, I think it's like as humans, we're, we're hardwired to have this love-hate relationship with grace, where we want it, but it doesn't really feel right or fair, so we kind of want to earn it just even just a little bit. I'll just speak for myself. It's definitely true in my life. I've had to come to realize that I actually have a hard time accepting grace as grace. I grew up in a small church, very conservative, uh, religious context, and even though my home church was a decent place, they, they preached the gospel, there was enough of this unspoken message that I picked up on that I still ended up thinking I needed to earn it at, at least a little bit. And this morning in our time together, I want us to wrestle with this idea 
that because as Christians, we throw the word grace around a lot. I mean, it's our, the daughter you saw run with that herd of children. Um, our, her middle name's Grace. Uh, lots of churches, just Google it. Mo- tons of churches named, have Grace in their name. My, my undergrad, it was Grace University. And all of this is very appropriate because graciousness is a defining core aspect of who God is. And we might say, well, yeah, you can see that in, not just in the New Testament, but the Old Testament as well. Really quickly, I want to share this amazing verse from Exodus 34, verse 6, where God describes himself. He says, the Lord, the Lord, and that, that word there is actually Yahweh, 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 a, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. See, gracious is who God is, but what is it? What is grace? Well, you can open the dictionary, all your theological dictionaries, and you're going to see the standard definition, unmerited favor, unmerited favor. That simply means, though, even even though we haven't earned it, uh, God shows us kindness, undeserved kindness. And that's helpful, and that's the right answer, but it's from a dictionary, Jesus talks a whole lot about grace, but he, he most often does it through stories. And today, specifically, we're going to see a story that vividly illustrates our saving grace, that being right with God in a relationship with him, it's a gracious gift that simply cannot be earned. So our passage this morning is going to be Matthew 20, and and the stage is set just a few verses before that in Matthew 19, where Peter, he's trying to figure out how does God give rewards. And so he asks Jesus somewhat of a bold question. I would summarize it this way. He says, you know, Jesus, we left everything to follow you. Is there something in it for us? Are, Are we going to get some kind of reward? What's waiting for us? Well, Jesus assures him that that God doesn't miss anything. He sees all the sacrifices that people make for him, and those guys would be rewarded. But (laughs) we have to be careful when it comes to this issue of who gets what and why. And that's where we're going to end up, where Jesus takes it from there in Matthew 20, a story to reorient Peter and our thinking on this issue. Let me read verses 1 through 7 of Matthew chapter 20. Jesus says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. And, And after agreeing with the workers for the standard wage, he sent them into the vineyard. When it was about nine o'clock in the morning, he went out and saw others standing around in the marketplace without work. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too, and I will give you whatever is right. So they went. And he went out again about noon and three o'clock that afternoon and did the same thing. And about five o'clock that afternoon, he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, Why are you standing here all day without work? They said to him, Because no one hired us. He said, You go and work in the vineyard too. Now, in our story, the parable here, we have an owner of a farm who needs a little extra help, so he goes out to to hire day labor. And logically, this landowner, if you're going to hire day labor, you want to get the whole day out of somebody, right? So he goes out, it says, early in the morning, first thing, and he hires a crew. 
and they make a deal. Work all day, and I'll, I'll pay you what's right. I'll pay you the going rate. Now, some of your translations in verse 2 are going to be very literal. It's going to say a denarius, um, but that's just a silver coin, and it's just understood that's, that's like a day's wage. Whatever that would be equivalent to us, it's just a day's wage. So the, the big takeaway from you reading that is this is fair pay. This is absolutely normal. It's what they would expect. It was fair. And so even broader than that, everything about verses 1 and 2 is very typical, standard procedure. Now, those guys are working for a couple hours. A couple hours later, uh, he heads back out to that corner, sees even more guys standing there waiting to get hired. It's 9 a.m. You look at the clock, it's like, well, there's a good chunk of the day left. Most of the day, okay, it's still worth hiring some of these guys. So he hires them too. Not that out of the ordinary. Where the story gets very interesting is in verses 5, 6, and 7. The boss goes back out at noon, at 3, and even at 5 p.m. We're down to a less than an hour left in the workday, and this guy is hiring more day laborers. But he makes a deal with all of them, and he says, I'm going to give you what is right I'm not going to do you wrong. Now, I don't know if I've ever signed a contract where, no one, where someone doesn't actually specify what um, I'm going to get paid, but I guess if you're getting hired at 5 o'clock for the rest of the day, you just take whatever you can get. And so that's what happens. Very strange, though. As you read this, it should feel out of the ordinary. But if that's not strange enough, look where it goes next, verses 8 through 12. When it, when it was evening, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call all the workers and give the, the pay, starting with the last hired until the first. Then those hired at about five o'clock came, each received a full day's pay. And when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each one also received a standard wage. When they received it, they, they began to complain against the landowner, saying these last fellows worked one hour and you've made us equal with them who bore the hardship and the burning heat of the day? Well, 6 p.m. comes around and it's quitting time. And of course, you all know, as, as if, if you're working just for a day, quitting time equals payment time. So everyone gathers around and the guys who just started working at 5 p.m., I mean, they didn't even get their hands dirty. They're called up first. And that would be weird. That would be strange. But what's downright crazy is this landowner gives them the full denarius, the full day's paid. Now, the rest of the crew is looking at this, and their first reaction is to get really excited. Actually, they say, man, boss is feeling generous today. You start doing some really quick math, one hour's a full day, you know, this is how... And they're, they are pumped because they think they might get a little raise. If those guys who just showed up basically to quit got the full Desenarius, we're going to probably get a lot more. That's the heart of verse 10 there. It's not what happens. At the end of verse 10, we see that everyone, whether you worked for an hour, half a day, or all day long, got the same thing. Doesn't go over very well. <laughs> they grumble they complain. They say, are you serious? 
These guys have been here less than an hour. We've been working our butts off. And you notice you start adding things when you get really upset and complain. And by the way, did you notice it was hot outside? <laughs> and you're, you're only going to pay us the day's wage? We should get paid more. Now, I'm not sure the point of the parable is a business model here. <laughs> but, but if any of you do have employees, I imagine you would have the same response if you tried something like this. People probably wouldn't like it very much. And, and I can actually speak from firsthand experience. I had something very similar happen to me. I mentioned I grew up in Nebraska, and I spent uh, several summers working at a popcorn plant in central Nebraska. I mean, it was pretty hard work. It, half of our crew would stack 50-pound bags of popcorn. The other half would uh, shovel, you know, go out and clean out silos all day. It was a lot of work. Um, and so one day, I get called into the office, and they say, close the door behind you. <laughs> Whenever you hear that, it's like, this is not, this is probably not good. Um, and I'm told there was a mix-up with my pay, and that they had been paying me the overtime rate instead of my base rate. I was 18, I didn't even know what a pay stub was, so I, I had no idea if that was true or not. But... It all sounded like a pretty good deal because they'd said, hey, we're going to fix this. You should know. You're going to get less on your next check, but we're not going to make you pay it back. One catch. <laughs> Keep your mouth shut. <laughs> you see, the office manager there, they, they knew. <laughs> they knew that those grown men who had who'd been working there for decades would not be too excited about a punk teenager getting a raise for no reason. It was really wise counsel, because I know <laughs> my coworkers would have freaked out just like these guys in Jesus' story. And if you pretend for a minute, maybe you've heard this story before and so you kind of know the punchline, if you pretend for a minute you don't know where this is going, we can be honest, we can sympathize with their response. It doesn't seem fair, does it? You know, Jesus has a really masterful way of using stories to get us to start relating to the wrong people and then dropping the other shoe, which is exactly what he does in this next section of verses. Look at verse 13 through 16. And then the, then the landowner replied to one of them, friend, I'm not treating you unfairly. Didn't you agree with me to work for the standard wage? Take what is yours and go. I want to give to this last man the same as I gave to you. Am I not permitted to do what I want with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first last. Talk about some perspective. He gives this very gentle, right? He, he says friend, but firm, very firm reminder that the owner gets to decide what he does with his stuff. See, if the, boss, if the boss wants to pay a full day's wage to these guys for basically just showing up, that doesn't have to mean that anyone else was cheated. They, those other full day guys worked all day, they made a deal, and he honored that. He, he paid them. He's holding up that end of the bargain. And so if he wants to be generous on top of that to other people, it's his right to. Now, we still might read that and wonder, yeah, but is it right? <laughs> is it right that he would do that? And Jesus zeroes in on that with these rhetorical questions in verse 13 through 15. The big takeaway is at the end of the day, it's the boss's money. 
And to have a problem with what he does with it is to be envious of his generosity. The Greek there is actually pretty clever. If we, were to read, if we were to read that super literally in verse 15, it would say, is your eye evil because I am good? <laughs> See the cleverness that Christ used there? But the takeaway is if, if I gauge rightness with God based on my perspective of, of fairness and earning, then it might lead to an evil eye or, or enviness or a comparative perspective. And so the implied inverse of that, of course, is that the more that I understand grace, the more that I understand that God is able to do what he wants because all of it is generosity. So we can trust him. Again, I grew up in the church. I grew up around the gospel. So I've heard this passage, and almost always I hear this talked about in the context of what we call deathbed confessions, right? Somebody coming to faith in Jesus right at the end of their life, and they get to go to heaven too. And that's a good application. That really is. But the issues in the background of Jesus' conversation here, I think they give us an even broader perspective, you see, for hundreds of years, centuries, Israel had this wildly unique relationship with God. They had covenants and prophets and, and priests, all these things that other people did not have. And so this, it's this history of unique, not quite, but almost exclusive blessing. Now what's happening? Jesus is on the scene, and he's pursuing outsiders, He's pursuing the, the sinners. He's pursuing even the Gentiles, those people who for so long had been so otherly to the nation of Israel. Yet here's Jesus, arms open wide, welcoming these people into the kingdom of God as equal participants. See, in the big picture, they, and, and me as a Gentile, we're clocking in at 5 p.m. and getting a full day's pay. Is that fair? Well, of course not. <laughs> but none of it's fair. It's all grace. And in the story this itself, even in the story, and you want to be careful with parables, how much you read into it, but I think this is a clear piece of it. Even the folks who had been working all day out in the heat, even they were sought and got by the boss. Right? That's in verse 1. They didn't do anything special. He graciously pursued them and invited them. They were just standing there. <laughs> and so similarly, if I'm in God's family, then I'm in by grace alone, no matter what the circumstances are. Paul's classic example of this is, is about as explicit as you can be, right? It's Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Maybe you have it memorized. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, the actual thing that saves us is grace, God's unmerited favor. And in this verse, Paul very specifically says that is a gift in and of itself. And gifts, you don't earn gifts. They are inherently, definitionally, unearned. Grace. Of course, we access that grace through faith, but a vague notion of faith saves, saves nobody. 
I mean, people have faith in all kinds of things, even strong, life-changing faith. The question is, what is that faith in? I mean, I could have all the faith in the world that I would walk off this stage and not fall, but what is it that I'm putting my faith in? Well, I'm putting my faith in my ability to walk on air, which will actually let me down. (laughs) Saving faith is in the person and work of Jesus Christ, what he did on our behalf as God in the flesh. And it's through faith that we receive that saving grace. Well, there's one more verse in this passage that we, we have to at least look at. And that's that last one we read. It's worth reading again, verse 16. It says, the last will be first, and the first will be last. You know, if you're reading the whole book of Matthew, that would like pop off the page because you would have heard it before. In fact, uh, uh, so it includes our story, but if you were read all the way through chapter 19, the end of chapter 19 in verse 30, we see this stated once again. And so this parable is bookended by this idea that the last are going to be first and that the first are going to be last. And if you're like me, you hear that and you read that and you say, okay, it's in the Bible. Yes, I know it's true. It's theologically right. But on a gut level, it's like, "Mm, I don't know about that. (laughs) We wrestle with this. Because from our human reasoning, if you're last, it's because that's what you must have earned. (laughs) You should have done better, and then maybe you could have been first, right? That's kind of how we're wired to think. I'll give you an example where I feel this tension in real life, okay? The grocery store. I don't know where you all shop, but where we shop, it just, without fail, understaffed at the checkout lines. And, and every time you go, the same thing happens. You're standing there waiting to check out. The line is building and building and building, and eventually somebody gets the clue that maybe we should have somebody come up and help, So they phone the person, and that's when it happens. (laughs) The checkout person goes out to that second checkout line, and you see everybody getting antsy because you know somebody's going to get picked (laughs) to go jump up to the front. So you see eyes darting around, people kind of wiggling their carts. But because they've all seen it, I've seen it, you've seen it more than once, The person who was at the back of the line, who just showed up, all of a sudden gets to check out first. And we're polite people. (laughs) But in our minds, we're saying, what is happening? (laughs) This is not right. They haven't been waiting. They didn't earn it. It's not fair. Am I not permitted to do what I want with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So, the first will be last, and the last will be first. Friends, grace, God's unmerited favor, turns our perspective, our system of fairness, just on its head. (laughs) Jesus says, "I, I know you haven't earned it. You should be last. Why don't you come on up front and experience grace? I want to give it to you as a gift. Now, remember that this passage in Matthew, it's a story, it's a parable. It's, pow- it's powerful, but it's one that Jesus, he just made it up um, to, to make a point. Grace, though, is very much real life 
real-life application. If you were to keep reading through the Gospels past chapter 20, you'd eventually get to the end where you see a career criminal, moments from death, living this out. You remember the thief literally hanging next to Jesus Christ? He makes a deathbed profession. I want you to listen to this classic quote from Philip Yancey that I think just pinpoints this for us. He says, in one of his last acts before death, Jesus forgave a a thief dangling on a cross, knowing full well that the thief had converted out of plain fear. That thief would never, never study the Bible. He would never attend synagogue or church. He would never make amends for all those he had wronged. He simply said, Jesus, remember me. And Jesus promised, today you will be with me in paradise. It's another shocking reminder that grace does not depend on what we have done for God, but rather what God has done for us. I'll say that last part again. Grace does not depend on what we have done for God, but rather what God has done for us. You know, I I think no one told me this, but I think I used to think that grace kind of meant that God flippantly would say, oh, yeah, no worries. We'll just kind of forget about that one. (laughs) No, not at all. As Yancey states, God has done something for us. He has removed our debt, but only because it was actually paid. Amazing grace. A full day's pay for just showing up. Jumping to the front of the line. Eternity in paradise right before death. I mean, who would be so gracious? Only the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. So no, it's not fair. (laughs) But let's praise God that it's not fair. It's gracious. And so our point isn't that others are getting jipped or anyone has earned anything at all. Salvation is a gracious gift that can't be earned. Now, to be sure, we want to be clear. There are places in the Bible that talk about Um, what we would call rewards. And so that's Christians, people who are already saved by grace, receiving special eternal blessings for the faithfulness in how they live out in life. And so that's a very true and biblical and good idea, but it's a distinct idea from what we're talking about here. This parable is a reminder that there is equality at the cross. So whether you've been a part of God's family for decades or the last five minutes, You're just as much as part of God's family as anyone else because they too entered the kingdom by the door of grace. So what should we do with this? Well, I'll be honest. These questions have taken me a long time to untangle in my own heart. Though I grew up in a Christian home, I didn't trust Christ uh, till many years into that, that Christian context. And so I spent all those years trying to do everything I could to earn my pay. From the outside, I think everybody thought it looked all fine and good, but on the inside, I was dying. <laughs> trying to earn our status with God, is, it's, a too, it's too big of a burden to bear. And if, and if you've ever been there, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It also didn't help in my particular case. There were spiritual leaders in my life who downplayed grace. These people who specifically warned, we don't want to overemphasize grace here because, you know, people might just do whatever they want. 
So for a long time, I just, I didn't get it. (laughs) But the more and more, this is what I've come to realize, the more and more convinced that of my own sin, the more and more someone realizes the depths of their sin and the vastness of grace, the more and more they're actually changed by it. Let's go back to my professor for just a moment, okay? I'm, I'm guessing that when people hear he was just handing out grades, their first thought is, well, if you do that, the students aren't gonna do anything all semester, right? Well, that was my first thought. And that maybe it's possible that some of, those, some of my classmates did that. But you know what's wild? That was not the majority response. Most of those students who took the gift of a grade, they still came to class. They still even did some homework. How is that possible? Why did that happen? Well, I'm convinced that's actually how truly understanding grace works. I want you to think of a time when someone in your life Someone in your life, they did something for you that was such a genuine, real, undeserved favor. Maybe they went to bat, at you, bat for you at work or at school, or maybe they uh, gave you a second chance. Maybe they just did something that you could not have done for yourself. I want to think about those people for just a moment. People who come to my mind, people who truly altered my life because of their grace to me. There's a guy named Dan who put my wife at the top of a list for a heart surgery. We got it scheduled within a week. Should have taken months. guy named John, he woke up early every single week, even though he was too busy already to teach me the Bible, and even though it was obvious I didn't appreciate it. A guy named Norm, he owned that popcorn factory. He didn't have a job for me. He created one because he knew I needed to earn some money. When I talk about, and even just thinking about these guys, it gets me kind of emotional. When I talk about these guys and I think about them and I interact with them, it's from a natural disposition of love and gratitude because I think that's how that works. When someone does something so overwhelmingly generous for you that you couldn't have done for yourself, that you do not deserve, it changes you and it changes the relationship. And if this is how we respond in our earthly relationships, how much more should I live a life of of gratitude and of love towards the one who saved me from my sin? Saving grace, it changes us. One of my favorite verses about this expresses the same idea from Titus 2, Titus 2, verses 11 through 12. It says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. You catch what the scriptures say there? That, That God's grace has a teaching effect in our life. We, by his grace, we we learn to live for Jesus. Even so much so, the text says we say no to the things that his grace has saved us from, and that the primary teacher of that is is that our experience with that grace. And this perspective, this has been the anthem of the church for centuries. Listen to some of these familiar lines. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Owe to grace how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. 
Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. And even, I didn't even know y'all were singing this song. The song we sang earlier is Amazing Love. How can it be? It's a joy. It's my joy to honor you. See, we're not trying to earn anything. We experience grace, and our hearts turn into a disposition of joy to live for him. So, brothers and sisters, what do we do with this? Well, I think we can start by, by resting anew in the undeserved grace that saved us from deserved death. All other religious systems are based on earning something. I mean, that's really what it comes down to, to everything outside of Christianity. They are trying to earn something with God. And so as Christians, those saved by grace, we can remember and we're called to remember that we have the greatest gift ever given. And it's not something that's available anywhere else. And so with our words and with our actions and with the whole of our lives, we sing of the unmerited favor that has saved us, not just from hell, but to a new life. And so today, let's rest in his grace. Let's live by his grace. And in the midst of it all, tell of his grace. Now, final thought here. If you're here today and you've not yet accepted God's gift of salvation, I'd be remiss if I didn't urge you to at least consider the greatness of God's saving grace. See, God doesn't want you to carry the weight of constantly trying to earn it. He took that burden for us. Doesn't matter who you are or where you're from, whether you're a five-year-old with godly parents or a total rebel at the end of your life, the answer is the same. Salvation is by grace. And I believe that's what this story teaches us this morning and maybe the reason why you're here today. Let's pray. Father, we don't know what else to say other than thank you. <laughs> thank you for this gift of grace that you've given to us. We pray that today and every day we could rest in that anew and in a fresh way see the reality of what you've done for us, that we don't have to earn this. And Lord, we pray that moving forward too, we continue to allow grace to have its teaching effect in our life, that we would never be the same and that it'd be our joy to honor you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.